So the mnemonic is security, security, S-E-C-U-R-I-T-Y. And so security is uh, security through risk management planning, education planning, cash management, savings, credit, and debt planning, ultimate disposition through estate planning, retirement planning, investment planning, tax planning, and yearning for financial independence planning, which essentially means how do I use my money before I die and not just leave everything to my kids. It's, it's a little bit like gambling. I don't want to say it is gambling because obviously analysis goes into it and, and some knowledge and it's, you know, it's, it's not gambling, but it almost has that feel to it because what people are trying to do is get ahead financially in a very short period of time. My answer was straight up. I want to be a durian. Right? If you guys know what durians are, it smells like rotten propane. That's what it smells like. Okay, there's a reason why I wanted to bring this topic up. And the topic is, you know, uh, investing and investments. When I speak to colleagues about their personal finances and try to understand where they are in their financial security and wealth, inevitably, 100% of the time, they will talk to me about their investments, their stocks, their ETF, their bonds, and how the market went up and how the market dropped and how they experienced the market. And really, that's not what I'm talking about. So I'm not solely talking about investments. I'm talking about all the other stuff surrounding personal finance and anything but investments. Unfortunately, we always end up talking about investment and investing. And unfortunately, when we are caught in this mindset, then we typically will think about, well, how do I get the least cost, the least fees, the lowest fees, the cheapest fees I can get for my investment? And unfortunately, if we focus only on investment and investing, and focusing on low fees as most DIYers, do-it-yourself people do, then they are trapped in a certain mindset. And unfortunately, this cognitive bias traps their mind. And they bring this cognitive bias everywhere they go in their financial plan. And this is why I bring this topic up today, is because people are trapped, their mind are trapped, and they're imprisoned by this idea that everything must be done on the cheap with low fees. While it seems reasonable for investment and investing, it is not the most reasonable thing to do when it comes to the rest of your financial plan. And so let's talk about investment and investing and the traps of just focusing on that. Like not only are we neglecting the other parts of our financial well-being and wealth, but we are, our mind is trapped to the lowest fees possible. And we apply that to everything else. How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for healthcare professionals. 
where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Okay, so good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the How Is My Financial Health Doc podcast. And I am back again. I am your host, Vuketran. I, you know, I did not even realize that this is over 100 episodes already. I think we're 105 or something. So I am still producing podcasts and you guys are still listening. So I must be doing something right. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about a topic that... Uh, I've, I've been a big believer of this particular concept, but I was blown away uh, when my friend Chris told me this, and I'll share with you what he told me. Um, so it's it's not sexy. It's not sexy. What do I mean by it's not sexy? Financial planning is not sexy. Investing is sexy, right? We all love to talk about investing. You know what? I was talking to a colleague of mine, and he was telling me he bought this stock and that stock and invested in this index. And he got out of the market just in time before the crash in October. And he was so proud. And we spent a lot of time talking about investment. And it's just very sexy. But when we started talking about financial planning, he left the table and didn't want to talk about it. And so I have with me my friend, uh, Chris Rugel. I'm going to introduce Chris. Chris is a senior director and associate portfolio manager. So pay attention to that name, portfolio manager. What that means is he is the expert. Like if I am at a cocktail party and I say, hey, Chris, or I'm gonna ask someone who, what should I invest in? Chris is the guy to ask. Vu is not the guy to ask. So if, if you want investment advice, Chris is the guy to go to. So Chris is a portfolio manager at Vector Global Canada. So uh, welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you, Vu. Thank you for having me back on. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about yourself, the things that I didn't mention, that, but I think it's relevant to the talk today. Great. Um, yeah, so uh, I am a Associate Portfolio Manager at Vector Global Canada. We are the Canadian division of Vector Global, uh, which is based in Miami. We're a global asset manager. Uh, and we're very excited to be in the Canadian market. Uh, we think there's a lot of opportunity here. Uh, I was a trader for over a decade. In fact, I think it was 12 or 13 years at one of the major banks in Canada. I've traded pretty much everything. I've traded uh, bonds, fixed income products. I've traded stocks. I've traded Pokemon cards. You name it, I've traded it. Um, and so I, uh, I've i been on the uh, what's called the sell side of the industry, meaning uh, I was the one who was uh, dealing in the product. Uh, and now I'm what's on the buy side. So I'm now the one who's buying the product on behalf of clients as a portfolio manager. So that's a little bit of my background. I've, I've been doing it since the early 90s. Uh, so hope that kind of reveals my age, but hopefully not. And I love what I do. I really do. And um, I, I think, Chris, I think you're still younger than I am. And uh, you look <laughs> fabulous. So don't worry about it. Thank you. So we're we're having this discussion because we were at an event together. And we were talking about pensions. And uh, during the conversation, you made it really clear to the group and to the audience that, you know what, everybody loves to talk about investment and it's sexy, but really the important critical issue with people's finances is really about the planning. And, and when you said that, 
I was kind of floored. I don't know if you saw me uh, slip out of my chair, uh, but I was floored by that. And there's a reason I was floored that, by that is because it, it came from you. It came from an investment guy. Uh, you're not a financial planner. You manage people's money. You buy and trade and you buy stocks and, and you buy funds. And yet your core belief is that financial planning is is important. And in fact, more important than the investment itself. Uh, so I was quite impressed by that. Uh, tell me a little bit more about why you said that. Well, we just discussed how I've been doing this for some time. Let's just say I've been investing and trading since even before computers were being used yet in investing and trading. And so investing is in my blood. It is what I do. But I, I think that's why this carries some weight. And I think that's why it carried some weight with you, that when the guy who gets paid to invest tells you not to put investing first. I'm not saying don't invest. I'm saying don't put it first. Uh, and that's why I think it carries some weight. Because if a financial planner comes on here onto your podcast, and by the way, congratulations on over 100 episodes. I, I think I've uh, heard most of them. Uh, if a financial planner comes on here and, and he tells your audience that financial planning comes first, a lot of people might say, well, of course he said that. He's a financial planner. That's his, He's got a vested interest in that. But I'm not a financial planner. I'm a professional investor. Uh, I don't have a vested interest in getting you to put off the investing. In fact, I get paid on behalf of others. I get, sorry, I get paid to invest on behalf of others. So giving me your money means I start uh, making money myself immediately, right? I get paid based on how many assets I manage. And yet from an honest knowledgeable position i'm telling you and your listeners that investing doesn't come first just don't tell my boss i said that because i still want to have a job tomorrow <laughs> well you will and you know you're you're the best employee in in that office so your 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 job is safe i appreciate that so i, I think it is important to help people understand the importance of planning first then comes the rest which includes investing and a lot of other things because once you do the planning first the benefits of investing gets better. And that's why I tell people that investing doesn't come first because you want to be able to maximize the benefit of the investing that you do. And, and let me put it to you this way. If you invest and you make a lot of money, tax or planning, which includes tax planning, by the way, helps you. But if you invest and you don't make a lot of money or you lose money, if you plan properly, you actually mitigate the damage that you do your, to yourself. So planning is so critical to do beforehand. Wonderful. So you you mentioned something that, you know what, we invest and it does not always work out, right? I wish it did, but it doesn't always work out. We don't make the money that we thought we were going to make. And worse, we sometimes lose the money. Uh, and if we don't have proper planning, then the floor can just drop below us and we'll be in really, really big trouble. So that's where the planning comes in. So I want to share with you and the audience in my journey of learning throughout the, the years in finance. And by the way, remember, guys, I'm a doctor. OK, so I'm not a financial planner. But in my years of learning about this, I came across this book called Practicing Financial Planning for Professionals, a Practitioner's Edition. So these this is the textbook. So imagine the the Harrison's of a financial planning okay so the harrison is a general internal medicine textbook it's a big book 
uh, that we all had to read in med school. Trust me, everybody hates that book because it's so thick. But so it, essentially the, the the medical book of medicine. And so here I'm in holding the, the, the financial book of finance here or financial planning. And uh, it's written by um, Sid Mitra, Tom Potts and Leon Labrec. But I'm not getting any money from these guys, by the way. So, but there's a reason why I'm talking about this is because the book really sets out a really, really good mnemonic for what people should do and what financial planners should do to help their clients with planning. So if you if you bear with me, I'll tell you what that is. So the mnemonic is security, security, S-E-C-U-R-I-T-Y. And so security is uh, security through risk management planning, education planning, cash management, savings, credit, and debt planning, ultimate disposition through estate planning, retirement planning, investment planning, tax planning, and yearning for financial independence planning, which essentially means how do I use my money before I die and not just leave everything to my kids. So there's a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's eight domains that financial planners have to go through with their clients to help them build a holistic uh, financial plan. I was, I'm a big, big, big promote, proponent of risk management planning and tax planning. And investment planning is definitely there. But like you say, for me, it has never been uh, the top priority. So one, I want to get your opinion on that mnemonic, on those eight domains of planning. What are your thoughts? Are there is there one more or two more things that I haven't put on there that we should also think about in regards to financial planning? Well, the reason for that mnemonic is so that people can organize themselves. And that's essentially what a financial plan is. It's organizing yourself. I think that what I would add to that is, or I think what I may surprise you with, is that uh, I will let you know that I don't even believe that the financial plan is what comes first. Just don't tell In us. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Okay, throw it at me then. Throw it at me. Well, first of all, don't tell the financial planners. They'll kill me. <laughs> The financial plan is the plan of execution. And the execution includes all those elements that are in that mnemonic, the risk management, i.e. insurance, the retirement planning, i.e. investing. So the execution can involve many moving parts. Um, and a well-constructed plan has many parts, as, as has that mnemonic. When people find out what I do, the first thing that they ask me, as you mentioned before, is, hey, what should I invest in? And people are always looking for investment suggestions, hints, clues, ideas. It reminds me of that episode of Friends. I'm not sure if you're a fan of Friends. Um, there's an episode with the, with the character Phoebe. She finds out that she's pregnant. So she's feeling the financial pressure of, of carrying triplets in her pregnancy. And yes. decides that her great idea, her solution, her great plan to solve this financial pressure is to ask Chandler, who works for a corporation, about insider trading as a solution. <laughs> and that just symbolizes the way people view investing. It's an out. It's a solution. It's not an out. It's a tool. And if you haven't planned to have triplets, investing, including insider trading, won't get you out of that trouble. It right. probably will probably get you into trouble. So the, the, the investing is a tool 
You have to view it as such. The plan is the organization. So the part that comes before that is where do you start? You start with yourself. So what comes before the financial plan is an honest discussion or a thought process with yourself. Who am I? Where am I? Obviously, that's not a question of identity or location, but rather an honest self-analysis of yourself, of your life, of your family, of your needs. What are your limitations? Once you understand yourself, you have that information, that basic information that's needed to start organizing, organizing your life, organizing your financial life. And not just from a financial perspective. Of course, the financial perspective is what we're discussing here today. But the associated benefits of doing this exercise, this self-analysis, is even greater. So, of course, I would encourage everyone to do that as a general rule. But staying on the financial analysis side of things, once someone starts being honest with themselves, now you can start organizing. And the organizing is critical. Nobody can do this work for you. You have to do it yourself. Once you've decided to work with a financial planner, going to them with things already organized will make the, the experience that much better. So one has to realize that this experience will be one where the benefit is directly tied to the level of honesty that one shares with themselves. In other words, be honest with yourself and with your financial planner. There's no benefit if you start you know, telling your financial planner untruths. So what you need is someone who isn't going to blow sunshine up your you-know-what. Mm -hmm. You need someone who will be brutally honest, like that best friend that doesn't lie to you and tells you that that shirt looks awful. Someone who's going to give you a dose of reality. Now, I'm not trying to be a dream killer. We all have dreams. But a goal without a plan is just a wish. That was a, a French poet that, that came up with that expression. And it, and it makes sense. So you want to build out a financial plan. But here's the kicker. I don't know where we are yet in, in my industry, uh, financial, you know, the financial industry in Canada. But I do know the governments and regulators have been looking at this issue for some time. Uh, but for the longest time, titles and credentials have been misused. So you could call yourself a financial advisor, a financial planner, and yet have no real designations or education behind that. So there's a whole exercise and effort that also goes into when you're organizing yourself to also finding and, and doing some due diligence on the people you're going to be working with. So all that work has to precede the putting together a financial plan. Then you can move on to the organizing yourself in the form of, an, of a financial plan. And then after you have the financial plan, <clears throat> excuse me, then obviously that's when you come talking or knocking down my door. I uh, I love it. I I I, uh, I was just you know hanging on to my seat to every word you were saying, and I started doing uh, financial workshops many years ago. And the first slide that I put in my slide deck is the question, and this question comes from my daughter, and she was maybe four years old at the time. And she, she saw this question on one of these kids' TV shows. And she came to me and said, Dad, if you were a fruit, what would you be? My answer was straight up, I want to be a durian, right? 
if you guys know what durians are, it smells like rotten propane. That's what it smells like. But to the connoisseur and to Southeast Asia, durian is the king of all fruit. In fact, if you Google right now, just Google, what is the king of all fruit? Durian comes up as number one. So it's the best fruit on earth. So that question was deep. Like, wow, Like it really speaks to who I am. To your point, Chris, who am I? Where am I? What do I want to be? What is my goal, right? So that could be summed into, well, if you were a fruit, what fruit would you want to be? But here's the second question that floored me. It literally floored me because it was such a, a deep question coming from a four-year-old. Would you like to be squeezed or would you like to be cut? So if you are a durian, would you like to be squeezed or would you like to be cut? And for me, it's like it seems like a simple childish question, but it brings back to me to the deep abstract thinking of what is the meaning of life? And if you were to die, how would you like to choose your death? And, and that floored me. And I put that in the beginning of my financial talk, because to your point, who am I? Why am I doing this? Coming back to Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. So I absolutely agree with you. So all this to say, I, I really, really agree with you. Before the financial plan, start with why and start with who I am. Absolutely. Let's dive into the question. Investment is sexy. Let me give you one or two stories. So I work in Demerge, as you guys know, and I'm sitting with a colleague of mine, my mentor. And I say, hey, how's your, how's life? How's things? How's family? Uh, by the way, have you been listening to my podcast? You know, have you, have you thought about what to do with your retirement? And the first thing that came out of his mouth was, you know what? I'm doing pretty well with my investments. Uh, and I bought so-and-so stock and I've done pretty well with, with this. But you know what? I bought that ex that other stock and I'm kind of paying for it right now. And and we just dive and dove into the discussion of stocks and bonds and, and the market and all that. And I, and I had to say to him, no, 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 that's not what I meant. <laughs> I, what I meant was, you know, how's the retirement going? How are you planning for that? You know, what are the different things that you've been doing from your taxes point of view that you can share with me? You know, I'm still learning. How can you share that with me? And his answer is like, Vu, you're the one doing the podcast. You know more than I do. All I know is investments. So, and that story is not unique. That story is every single colleague that I talk to. Every single physician that I talk to when we approach the topic of finances, everyone wants to talk about the sexy stock, the Tesla, the Spotify. That's that's my world. That's how we do it in medicine. How about you? You you see your clients are from all walks of life, not just physicians, all walks of life. I they come to you obviously because you're the investment guy. But what is your experience with people when you talk about finance? Well, when they find out what I do, as I mentioned before, they do ask me that question. It's almost 99% of the time, what should I invest in? And as I've mentioned to you, my answer to them is always, that's not the question you should be asking. The question should be, how should I be investing? So that's that's what um, 
uh, I normally sort of respond in, in that particular situation. My experience with what I do, there's a reason why I love what I do. And that is that investing is fun. I'm just going to put it out there. Investing is fun. It's addictive. It's a rush. Think about it. I was 20-year-old kid, 20, 21-year-old kid. I'm on one of the biggest trading floors in Canada. It's uh, the morning of whatever event. Let's call it the uh, the long-term capital crash or or the tech bubble crash. And every single phone, we're talking about 400 phones are going ringing and, uh, and there's people yelling and there's people making, you know, hand gestures and there's people crying and there's people laughing. It is an experience to trade. And that's addictive. And individual people who trade for themselves, let's say at home at their on their laptops, they kind of get a taste of that. It's it's a little bit like gambling. I don't want to say it is gambling because obviously analysis goes into it and and some knowledge and it's you know it's it's not gambling, but it almost has that feel to it because what people are trying to do is get ahead financially in a very short period of time. You're hoping to buy something at the market open and that it doubles by the end of the day. That's sort of the dream. And certainly no one has ever made a movie about financial planning. But there's tons of movies about investing and trading and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you've got Ben Affleck in this one movie and you got Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio in another movie. You know, Hollywood makes investing look romantic. Um, it isn't. <laughs> but it is it is fun. So people get that sense. Now, financial planning, it isn't that experience. It's it's like doing homework. And nobody likes to do homework. I didn't like to do homework. You're a doctor. Maybe you did like to do homework. Maybe that's oh, I hated it. I hated homework. But that's what financial planning is. It's organizing yourself. It's pulling bank statements and making sure you have a copy of your insurance and, and putting it into a folder and bringing it to this guy who's going to put it into a spreadsheet. It's not the sexiest thing on the planet. And yet that exercise is so impactful for your long-term financial health. Um, and couple that with the sexy part, which is the investing, and you have a great winning combination. But if you have one and not the other, if you have financial planning without investing, you're not going to get ahead. But if you have investing without the financial planning, you could do some damage. So that's why, you know, we're having this discussion today to make sure that people understand, hey, listen, I'm not telling you not to invest is dedicate some time for your own financial health, for the financial to sit down and be well advised, be well um, uh, assessed with regards to how you should be structuring your life. It, you know, I, I think of, for example, you're a doctor. I'm sure you have a medicine professional corporation. Are you properly advised in how to use your you know, your corporation properly. So many entrepreneurs in Canada, a lot of them aren't advised properly and they don't really use their corporate structure properly to benefit themselves. So they may invest a lot of their own money into their own business. That's a way of investing. If you don't do it properly, you're not going to get the benefit that you want out of it. You know what? I'm uh, two things. I'm so glad you mentioned that because a lot of us and my colleagues are incorporated. And so what do we do? We have retained earnings and we take those retained earnings and we invest it. Unfortunately, it's not allowed inside an MPC because it's a passive income. Uh, well, it is allowed, but you're just you're taxed up the wazoo. It's, 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 the yeah. government does not like it when you take passive income in your corporation. No. 
Yeah, and a professional court was never meant for that. Um, and so the more no measures came and shut that down really quick. Um, but the point I wanted to make is that we, we use our corporation to then decide what to invest in and, and, and keep all these retained earnings that will now trigger a capital gains tax the moment we sell it. But nobody, I wouldn't say nobody, very few of us have thought how to do the tax planning using the corporation and the retained earnings. So everybody, every one of us use a corporation and the first thing we do is we invest, but we don't, like you say, do the tax planning, the estate planning and all that risk mitigation planning. So that's- As, a- as someone who, who deals with people, you know, the public on a regular basis, I can tell you that people who have their own corporations, that is probably the number one problem they eventually face. Yeah. So they have, you know, it's all about managing your business. And so that, that really is the number one problem is how do I make my business grow? How do I protect myself? Because, you know, you're taking a big risk when you when you have your own business. But what I'm talking about is the financial repercussions of your business. That is by far the most common thing I, I see is someone coming to me and saying, how do I pull money out of my corporation that's been sitting in there and retained earnings? How do I make that, you know, put that in my pocket without paying so much to the government legally, of course, right? So of course. that's what they're trying to do. And people will literally jump through hoops trying to make that happen, except do the most straightforward thing they could do, which is build a financial plan, get yourself advised, right? Going through life without a plan, without a strategy is nuts. It's not just with money, just in general, that's a, that's a crazy idea. If I want to become a doctor, I have to plan a path of education. If I want to become a corporate executive, I need to have an employment strategy. If I want to lose weight, my God, how many of us wing it and just try anything? We all know that the most successful weight loss experience has to do with a combination of eating right and exercising properly. And both of those things require daily effort, daily scheduling, which is what? A plan, right? The other thing that you mentioned that I 100%, it is addictive. It is absolutely addictive. You know, uh, some of us are addicted to alcohol, others are addicted to gambling. But you know what? Uh, Buying stocks and selling stocks and stuff like that is addictive. I have a few colleagues who call themselves quote unquote day traders, even though they're not day traders. They're probably swing trading instead of day trading. But but you know what? I myself fell into this, right? I I bought Shopify uh, and it kept going up. And I was keeping eye on my portfolio. And I'm like, oh, my God, I tell my wife, Shopify is going up, it's going up. And I and every week I would look at it and see the amount going up until it fell by 50%, right? <laughs> and then you're like, oh, my God, what happened? And the same thing happened with um, Netflix. And the same thing happened with Amazon. You know, that drug, when you see that that the ticker and that thing just going up and up and up the mountain, you know, like you feel exhilarated. It's right? an adrenaline and rush. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But I'll tell you what the funny thing is. You're telling me that story and I'm shaking my head because I know that experience. Everybody lives that experience. The funny thing is, I think you and I have discussed this before, is in a rising market, we all look like geniuses. You could throw a dart on the wall and hit a winning stock when everything is going up. But when markets are collapsing or falling apart like they did this year, it shakes everybody out. Um, the amount of crypto traders that I came across over the last five years was incredible. And every single one of them went silent in 2022. So that adrenaline rush has a downside. 
Absolutely. And what happens is you get addicted to it. When everything is going up, you look like a genius. You're going to make money. You're planning your trip to Bora Bora. And then the market does what it does, which is it shakes out it shakes out the amateurs. Yeah, but so you know, why do we think we can skip the planning? <laughs> is what I what I wonder. Because because watching that dot go up five percent, ten percent, you know, and you're you're now all of a sudden your portfolio is you know fifty thousand, sixty five thousand, seventy five thousand, eighty thousand, and within days, right? Sometimes within weeks. Yeah. Um, I was at a dinner yesterday. <laughs> I was at a dinner yesterday, and uh, and the 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 parent knows that I run a pension program, and the first thing she says is, "Vu, I need your help." I said, "What do you want me to do? How can I help you?" Says, "I need some investment advice." I'm like, first of all, I don't do investment advice. I'm not an investor. I don't trade, so I can't give you that." And then, so for the entire night, I try not to answer her, <laughs> but but she says to me. How do I have 50 grand and make 10% next week? I'm like, I don't know how you're going to do that. Like, <laughs> I don't know how you're going to do that. Like, how do you make 10%? And I do this for a living. <laughs> how do you do that? I said, you could you could drive to Niagara and put it all on black and, and hope for the best. But you know what? That, that's what? that was the point that you were trying to make. The point that you were trying to make is we all want to make a quick buck. Um, and that's that's the draw, right? The draw is to see that number go up and up and up, and we're making that big big bucks, you know. Oh, it just went up by five thousand. It means five less shift for me this week, right? And and we're all looking for that. Um, and it's a drug. It's an absolute drug. It's sexy, absolutely sexy and addictive. So I'll, I think it might be a, a good time to share my story. Uh, as I mentioned, I was a trader for the for one of the big banks here for many years. And at one point, I switched over to this side of, of the industry, which is to advise people. And the reason I do that is because, um, and I hope my family is okay with me, with me sharing the story. My father-in-law at the time, he ran a very successful business in Mississauga. And he was very, he was just like what we were just talking about. He loved the markets. He loved to talk to me about the markets. He, you know, he loved the fact that I do what I do. And so that was a major topic of conversation for us. And so he was very active in trading for himself. And I never asked him how he did. As we all do, he'd always share his successes with me, but he never shared, shared his failures. So I never really got an idea of how well he actually performed trading for himself. Unfortunately, my, my father-in-law passed away uh, from cancer. And um, my mother-in-law looked to me to help the family sort of go, uh, you know, sort through the that period, especially on the financial side. So she kind of left everything in my hands, including his business and said, listen, please, can you help us out with this? And amongst other things with regards to his business, which unfortunately had to be closed down, he left a portfolio with 90% losses. He left no insurance. Wow, wow. And because of that, we had to close his business because there's, there was just no way to run a business that now didn't have the key person and uh, was facing uh, tax obligations from the CRA. And, uh, and, and my mother-in-law, who had been a stay-at-home wife for many years, wasn't able to step in and run it. So it, it clued me in to the fact that someone who was so active trading and investing, and he was always looking for the new stock, never took the time to properly plan for his family. And it saddened me for the family, 
but it also made me realize how many people out there are probably in that same situation where they didn't plan, they didn't look at their overall financial picture and say, if I wasn't here tomorrow, what's my family going to face? What's it going to be like for my family, for my kids, for my wife? And that is so important to do before you, you buy, you know, the latest penny stock. And certainly, certainly be well advised on the investment side after that, once you've got your financial plan in place, because one of the things that hurt the most was he lost a lot of money trading for himself, a lot. And that money could have gone. If you, if you weren't going to even have insurance, at the very least, preserve that money for your yeah. wife. Preserve you know, the capital at least. So it was a very sad story. Uh, I carry it with me on a daily basis. Thankfully, my my mother-in-law was, is still with us. Uh, and this is now more than 15 years later. Uh, I was able to um, salvage some of the assets and sort of set herself up so that at the very least she wasn't you know, homeless, really. I mean, it was really, it came that close, the situation to you know absolutely devastating her. And it, and it was still devastating, to be honest, financially speaking. She went from a, a standard of living that was much higher than what she's doing now because he didn't plan and that's what motivated me to shift to this side of the of the industry. So when I advise people, that's in the back of my mind. Yeah. I know I invest for people. I know I do a pretty good job investing for people. But in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking, have they properly planned? And at some point, when I think it's appropriate, that question does come up. Yeah. Right. I say to them, do you have a financial plan? And if and if you don't, find yourself a financial planner, a good one um and, and put something in place or i will help them and i i don't have my full cfp but i do have um the first half the level one so I, I do help people put financial plans together but certainly there are much more qualified and experienced financial planners out there that will do that for you it is so worth it and it gives you peace of mind that plan that you have so that it's like building a house you don't just go in and start hammering things together you need someone to come in and organize. You need a blueprint. What? Who builds a house without a blueprint? Nobody. Like the government won't even let you get started without you submitting a blueprint right. to get a permit. So you got to do the work. It's not fun. It's not sexy. Let's get to the sexy part after you've done your homework. Amazing. So now, if I were to say out of those eight domains, right, the risk management, the education planning, the cash management debt, um, estate planning, retirement planning, investment planning, tax planning, financial independence planning, out of all those eight domains, you know, what are the top three critical domains that in your mind are priority? Now, obviously, I hope you're going to say investment because that's what you do. But beyond the investment, what top three in your mind must be done. If I don't want to go through the entire eight process, I'm too busy, I'm I'm not smart enough, I don't want to have the time, whatever. What are the top three that at least in your mind must be done? They're all important, of course. So I just want to make that very clear. They're all important to spend some time and focus on. But I'm full of surprises, Boo, and I'm going to tell you, investment planning is not even in my top three there. It's not Wow. Wow, I thought it would be. I thought it would so, be. You have to do the homework. And the homework starts, for example, I, I would say the number one there, and this is just my opinion, the number one uh, most important item on that one is the what I call the budgeting. That's the cash flow management, the debt management. you got to get the right 
picture of what your financial condition is like. If you don't know what your monthly cash flow is like, I, you can give me money to invest. I'll take it and I'll invest it and I'll charge you. But it doesn't make any sense. You haven't properly planned. You need to have a good idea of what your monthly cash flow looks like. So for me, that one is definitely number one. Um, oh, absolutely. And you and you know how much I hate plan budgeting. <laughs> I bet you you said that just to vex me. So you know I hate that. But yeah, I, I, and it's I, the best I, tool I, to organize your financial life. I mean, it's the simplest way to organize your financial life. And yet it is so underused. You know that um, I, I looked this up when, when you said you wanted to have this chat with me in 2020. And unfortunately, I can only quote you surveys from the U.S. because all surveys come from the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> In 2020, a survey showed that 65% of Americans had no idea how much they spent last month. That's insane. Most people don't keep very good track of all their finances. So while you may not know what your credit score is off the top of your head um, or have your bank account number memorized, I happen to actually do that, but most people don't. The assumption still is that you would know what counts, which is your everyday expenses. And yet 65% of Americans don't even know how much they spent last month. And the evidence suggests that when it comes to their budgets, people tend to play it by ear. That's horrible. Uh, a That's... 2018 study found that 35% of people report missing a bill simply because they forgot about it. In a world of automatic bill pay and banking apps, they, they should help us. Many don't feel it's necessary to keep an eye on their money until they don't have enough, which is like too late. So what helps with this? It's a budget. And, and I'm talking about a detailed budget that's reviewed regularly. I'm not talking about a budget with general numbers that's set up, you know, once and never looked at again. I'm talking about a diligent effort to understand your monthly cash flow, your annual income, your total economic potential. Once you have that, you understand what is and is not within your reach. What changes need to be made? You can set up goals. You can begin to analyze whether some goals are achievable or maybe not reasonable. So a budget is so critical. I, to me, that's number one. A budget will help you analyze your cash flow. And that's really key to using your budget properly, understanding where your money is coming in and where it's going out. Then comes your debt, right? The net worth statements. That's a critical one. Like it's uh, Most of us probably, I do, sorry, <laughs> but probably don't have understanding what that is that gives you a picture of your financial condition because mortgages credit cards credit lines personal debts student loans car notes man those things can really add up and you could be looking at a serious number on that page it's a reality check you need it and it needs to be front of mind how to manage that debt and that needs to be addressed can you carry that debt can you cover it from month to month does it strain your ability to endure changes in the environment like the one we're facing this year and in the coming years, you know, with a potential recession? So that's so important to me. It's almost like it's half the financial plan important and it really needs everybody's attention. Yeah, I'm I'm absolutely guilty of not doing all that. Uh, you you know me, right? When we sat together and you asked me this and that, I'd say, I don't know. I'll ask Sue, right? <laughs> I'll ask my wife. She'll pull it out somewhere. But so I'm absolutely guilty of all the things that you said that I should be doing. And you know what? I thought about that and I thought, why are we so bad? I mean, fair enough. 65% of the population are just as bad. Okay, I get it. Fair enough. 
but physicians are particularly bad. And, and in my mind, I think I found out the reason why. Because our next paycheck is so big, I don't need to worry about it, right? That's that's what we think in our mind, right? As long as I'm working, my next paycheck is so big that you know what? I don't I don't have to worry about the budgeting because I can I can pay it off next month, right? Because next month when the paycheck comes in, I can pay off all that and it's gonna be a big paycheck. So I, I don't need to do this minutia thing. And I and I think that's the trouble. That's the that's the mindset we get ourselves into that that makes us not do the budgeting that's that's the athlete mentality um you know that i've worked with athletes in the past as well uh and that's the exact mentality that they have we're talking about athletes that get six figure paychecks seven yeah. figure paychecks so of course they're like well okay if, if you know if i'm tight this month don't worry i've got another million dollar check coming my way but that's also the reason why a majority of athletes go bankrupt after they leave their industry after they stop playing professionally because they haven't planned because they haven't budgeted because they haven't looked down the line now it just so happens that in your case you're in an industry where you can have a 30-year career so there's always going to be that check-in is relatively stable but not everybody has that and we are facing it's a sad reality we're facing the we're on the horizon of a recession there are going to be job losses it's simple fact there's going to be a rise in unemployment. Many people are going to be affected. And people who are affected greatly during recessions are the self-employed, which is why having a budget is so important, having a financial plan is so important, because it also tests you in terms of how you're going to be able to endure the difficult times, because it's not always good times. Absolutely. Uh, you you've told me this many times do a budget vu, do a budget it'll come one day one day i'll listen to you chris one day okay so now let's move on to the other two critical domains what what are the the other two you think are absolutely well the other two are the risk management and the tax plan for me those are my favorites i mean after cash man uh, the budgeting the, the the cash flow analysis and all that i think every everything else sort of falls into place on that uh, on that mnemonic of uh, of uh, security um, but for me, I think the ones that stand out are the tax planning and the, and the risk management. The risk management being, if you don't consider uh, insurance an asset, as I know you do, if you don't look at it as an investment, which it could be considered, uh, if you only look at it from a risk management perspective in terms of protecting your family, then you still have to do that. I mean, and I think maybe that's due to the experience that I had with my father-in-law, that he didn't have that risk management in place that it's so dear to me. And the other one is tax planning. Uh, I've mentioned this to you oftentimes in the past. It doesn't matter how much money I make for you. If you're not properly structured, your investments aren't working as hard for you as they could be, right? It, it, that's just the reality. And so if if I make you a lot of money and the government comes and takes half, you're, you're not, you're still ahead, but it's just, it's just not as effective. Tax planning is so important. And, Listen, we should all do what I tell my clients to do, which is when, when they come to me and they ask me what they should do, I say to them, do what the rich do. And the first thing the rich do is do is tax planning. Absolutely. 100% I'm telling you all that is the, the reality of the situation. The largest, wealthiest families in Canada, they have great investments. They have great financial advisors, investment advisors, asset managers, whatever they have. But the first thing that they do they do tax planning. I try, I 
take my word for it. They have tax lawyers, and those tax lawyers are more important part of the team than their investment managers. I I agree with you. Like I keep telling people, the the problem, the financial problem we have as healthcare professionals and maybe doctors, is is not the accumulation. We accumulate enough. The problem is the distribution side is how much do we get to keep at the end of the day, at the end of the month, at the end of the year, and the end of life. So it's really how much we get to keep of what we made that's important because we make enough. The problem is, do we keep enough? And some of us will say, yeah, I keep enough. Some of us say, I don't keep enough. But the tax planning is what allows you to be the most performant with your investment, right? If you made me a hundred bucks and I can keep $70 versus I can only keep 30, well, you can make as much money as you want, but I won't keep it. And so even the performance of the investment has to rely on proper tax planning. I, I would just like to reiterate the fact that I, I stress this because it's important. All this stuff sounds really boring, but I'm telling you, if you don't, if you don't set yourself up properly at the beginning, you will leave it until it's too late to do anything about it. That's the sad thing. I can't tell you how many times people have come to me, not because, not just because they want me to invest for them, but because they need me to invest for them and they need me to hit a home run because they're in trouble. That just tells me that they didn't plan. I guarantee you that's that's what that's what happened. Uh, now I'm not talking about people who face you know those rare instances where life throws you a curveball that you could never plan for, and and you could never avoid. So you can't really plan for everything. Um, but almost every time I meet with someone who is in a jam, it is because they haven't planned properly. So do it from the start because if you don't, you probably won't do it later, and it's not something that should be put off. Chris, thank you very much for sharing your time with me today. And uh, and uh, this was a really, really enjoyable discussion to bring this topic up front. Thanks to you, Vu. I wish you another 100 episodes. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. And if you have enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. If you have any feedback, any comments or topics for future episodes, please email me at hmfhd. 2020 at gmail.com. Thank you. How is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial tax investment or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.